Morning people, how are you going today? Hopefully it's been a good week for you. It's really great that we can actually uh, meet together in person, um, but we thought it would be uh, worthwhile for those of you who can't meet um, in person with us to be able to still continue online. Um, next week we're hoping to actually have live streaming up, which would be really awesome. Um, but until then, we're just gonna continue with um, we're doing it this way. Um, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's been praying for Craig. If you could keep doing that, that would be really awesome. Um, his surgery went well, um, and yeah, so we're praying and believing for a, a quick recovery for him. So I'm going to continue on with our series, Home Improvement. I hope you've been enjoying it. I hope it's actually been of uh, benefit to you and it's been helpful. So this week we're talking about discipline. And our working definition for discipline is actually correction driven by love. You see, we don't discipline because as adults we're bigger and stronger and older and all that sort of stuff. But we actually discipline our children because we want to bring correction to them because we love them. And we want them to be all that God has created them to be. We want them to be able to become people who are going to be godly people functioning in society with being able to be self-disciplined. So this is all part of God's plan of teaching us how to be more like him, how to operate under uh, good kingdom principles. So uh, we have a couple of scriptures that we kind of anchored this on. And the first one is in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 5 to 6. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. So that's a really great promise for us. He disciplines us because he loves us. If God is not disciplining you, he's not loving you. And in uh, Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your son for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. And discipline, particularly disciplining our children, is one of those things that you never quite know if you're getting it right. You never quite know if it's going to actually um, produce the fruit that we want. You never know if you're screwing it up. And it's one of those kind of minefields that, that happen. And even if you follow the um, recommendations from um, the different um, child psychologists or the different ways of doing it, Honestly, sometimes it doesn't feel like they work at all. I remember with uh, Madison in particular, we tried the whole, you know, we're going to count one, two, three. Um, there was a situation where she's only four and a half weeks younger than her cousin Erica, and the two of them were in the car, and uh, in their car seats, and something had happened. I'm not quite, I can't quite remember what had what had happened, but Madison had picked up this rock, and she was sitting in her car seat facing Erica, holding this rock up, just staring at her. Erica, by this stage, is crying, and Madison's gonna throw the rock. She's gonna hurt me with the rock, and and you turn around, and you're like, Madison, what are you doing? And she's going, nothing. I'm just holding it. Give me that rock. No, I'm just holding. Give me the. I'm gonna count to three, and you better give me that rock. One, two. I'm not kidding, Madison. Give me the rock. Three. The thing is with Madison is that she was still holding the rock, staring at Erica, waiting for you to finish counting to three, and then she would put the rock down. I kind of thought to myself, and then we're just giving her three more seconds to be naughty. Um, and then with Seth, we, we did the whole, uh, you know, you're going to sit here and think about what you've done. And I remember he must have been about four. And I sat him down on the step and I said to him, right, you're going to sit here for the next four minutes and think about what you've done. And he says to me, no, I'm not. I'm going to sit here and think about dinosaurs. And by that point, I was just like, I don't, how, how do I make him think about what he's done? So you never quite know if you're actually getting this right 
or not. But the one thing that you have to understand is that in your home, in your household, you are actually in a battle with your children to determine who's going to win, to determine who's going to have the authority, to determine who's going to set the tone in your house. And I have to tell you that it must be you. You need to decisively win that. And if your household is one where there's a lot of nagging at your kids to get them to do stuff, there's a lot of yelling at them to get them to do stuff, um, I hate to tell you this, but you're actually not winning. So I just wanted us to, um, to kind of look into that a little bit more. Some people have this almost a fear of, um, of discipline. And I think it's because the way the culture of this world has become is that anything that stops you from doing what you want is viewed as evil or viewed as bad. So we kind of take that thought process into our parenting. And discipline is not something you do to your child. Discipline is something you do for your child. Zig Ziglar puts it this way, and I think it's brilliant. A child who has not been disciplined with love by his little world will be disciplined without love by the great big world. You need to remember that we are disciplining our children so that they can become um, functional, contributing, godly people in our societies. I want us to look at a couple of what I would call undisciplined parents. Um, and when I was kind of looking through this, I realized I can recognize myself in some of these. So I just want you to have a, have a listen to these. And if you recognize yourself, then we can bring that to God later on and, and get him to help us to change that way. The first kind of parent we're going to look at is the lifeguard parent. So lifeguard parents quite often rescue their children from consequences. They quite often rescue them. How do you know if you're a lifeguard parent? If little Johnny has forgotten his lunch at least three times in a term and you have gone and raced around and given him his lunch, then you are a lifeguard parent. It's even worse if he's in high school. You've got to stop rescuing them. You see, the Bible says in Galatians 6 verse 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You see, in God's divine economy, he's worked it so that there is a consequence for every action. And this consequence can be good or it can be bad. And the consequences, by following God's um, way, the journey and the plans that he has set out before us and what he says is the right thing to do, the consequence of that is an abundance of blessing, it's prosperity, it's um, open doors, it's, it's all of that great stuff. The consequence of not following what God says, the consequence of not living according to the way that he says, is that you will come under all sorts of uh, curses, you can come under all sorts of problems, and there are bad consequences. As parents, we actually need to give our children the gift of facing consequences of bad decisions. It's actually a gift. They need to understand if they make a bad decision, there will be a bad consequence. Now, how many of you... Um, know about the science fair. I absolutely hate the science fair. Honestly, uh, it was awful. You know, I had to do it, I think it was like four or five years of medicine, and then we had to do it with set. Honestly, the science fair is awful. But if your child comes to you and they say, on a, on a Sunday night or a Saturday, oh, I've got to handle my science fair project on Monday, then do not run around and do it for them. They need to face the consequence of that decision that they made to not do their science fair project. It's like when you have a teenager and you 
give them some money, you put money in their account for their lunch, and they decide instead of buying lunch that they're going to go and buy a CD or they're going to go and buy an item of clothing. And then they come to you and they go, oh, I don't have my lunch money because, you know, I spent it on this. Then what you need to say to them is, oh, well, I guess you're going hungry today because they need to face the consequences of what they are doing. Now, I'm going to say something quite controversial and probably upsetting to some people. But when your child is 16 and they want a car, you need to tell them to get a job. You need to say to them, go out, get a job, save up some money, buy yourself a $1,500 runaround. Because you know what? 16-year-olds should not be given $35,000 cars. Now, you might think I'm joking or exaggerating, but have you driven past Pukekohe High School? Most of those kids are driving nicer cars than I've got. We need to make sure that we are teaching our children that what seems like something innocent will have a consequence later on. It's like when they come to you and they say, look at this kitten. Isn't this kitten gorgeous and it's adorable and it's so innocent. Can we get the kitten? Please, can we get the kitten? And so you think to yourself, well, it's a pretty innocent thing. Yep, we, yep, it's cute. Yep, it's cute. It's adorable. It is adorable at the moment, but eventually that cute, adorable kitten is going to grow up to become a demonic cat that you're then going to have to deal with. There are consequences to our decisions. There are things that we need to understand about what decision we make has a good consequence or a bad consequence. Stop rescuing your children. You are not helping them. You are setting them up to fail. The other type of parent is an Etch-a-Sketch parent. So I don't know if you know what an Etch-a-Sketch is, but an Etch-a-Sketch is this little kind of machine about the size of my iPad, and it has two knobs on it. There's all these kind of magnet things inside it, as far as I understand, and you would turn it, and it would begin to draw lines, and you could actually draw pictures on these things, and then you'd shake it up, and the lines would disappear. So an Etch-a-Sketch parent is someone who is often inconsistent. There are no lines, there are no boundaries, the problem is, is our children need lines, they need boundaries, they need to know where the boundary is so they know how far they can go. What happens is, is that we end up with, uh, one day they can have Nazi mom in the house and everything's rigid and nothing moves, and then the next day they could have cruise directorship mom in the house. The problem with that is, they don't know whether they're coming or going. And then when you decide that today I'm going to have a boundary here, and then you change the boundary for them tomorrow, you're never going to get consistent behavior from them because you're not consistent. Proverbs 29 verse 15 says, The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. And verse 17 says, Discipline your son and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. What it doesn't say is discipline today and don't discipline them tomorrow. One of the things that I think this is going to, if we can become consistent, is that it teaches our children that God is consistent, that God's not going to change the boundaries on them, that God's not suddenly going to say one thing, yes, this is okay, and, one, and the next day change his mind on it. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Your kids need to know that you're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The third type of parent that I wanted to talk about is split decision parents. These parents are often ununified. They're often divided. They often don't agree. Amos 3.3 says, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? We need to, at all times, maintain a unified stance in front of our children. 
we need to do this because if you don't, they will play one off against the other. Remember, your household is actually a battle to see who is going to set the tone and who is going to set the authority in your home. Now, I get if we talk about the real world and we talk about people who are in situations where you're divorced. And you know what? It makes things complicated when it comes to disciplining your children. Quite often we hear stories of, you know, well, my ex is allowing the children to do this and then they come home and they tell me and I get all upset or else they play you off one against the other and they say, well, dad is going to buy me this and if you don't buy me this, then you're just mean or else you get the whole, um, well, mum said I could go here. You know what, Dad, if you're not going to let me go there and hang out with my friends, um, then I'm not going to come and see you. So you have this constant battle. What you need to do, no matter how much you might dislike your ex, is you need to maintain a unified stance when it comes to your children. If you can actually get through nothing else, if you, you still don't have to like them, forgive them, absolutely. But you must be unified. You must be communicating with your ex about what is or is not acceptable. And let's just have a brief talk about blended families. The, again, there can be complications. One of the things that really disturbs me about hearing from some blended families is they have this attitude that those are my kids and those are his kids or vice versa. The problem with that is that that's not how the Bible works. That's not how God works. God says when the two flesh become one, then what you have is not my kids and his kids, but our kids. Again, you need to have unity. The only way to be able to have unity is to have conversations. If you are not married yet and you don't have kids, have these conversations prior to getting married. Know what it is your stance is. Know how you're going to discipline your children. Be unified. So let's kind of switch gears for a minute. Um, we've looked at some of our own faults and maybe you recognize yourself in some of those. I certainly recognize myself in some of those. Um, and I pray that God will continue to remind you when you find yourself uh, straying from what he wants us to do, um, to be able to readjust. So let's just look for a minute though at what things we as parents should expect um, from our children and from ourselves. So these are our parental expectations in our home. We expect first time and cheerful obedience. We expect first time and cheerful obedience. Now I know some of you are probably laughing or sniggering right now, but the Bible says very clearly in Colossians 3.20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. The scripture does not say, Children, obey your parents when they say, Stop that, or cut it out, or I'm going to count to three, or if you keep doing that, you're going to lose this privilege. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible is very clear and it says to obey your parents in everything. Here's a little uh, family verse that you might want to stick on your um, fridge. Um, I think it's a really good one for everybody. And it says in Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, wouldn't that be a lovely house to live in? Do everything without complaining or arguing. You see, when we discipline our children, we need to discipline more for their attitude than we do for their actions. You see, you can have a child who will give you outward obedience, but they have an inward rebellion. What do I mean by that? So dad comes home and he's had a phone call from mom and he heard about how, uh, you know, their son's been back chatting and he says, son, I heard you've been back chatting your mother. No, I haven't. Yes, 
you have son no dad I haven't yes you have you need to cut that out no I haven't done it I'm not doing it you know what you're being really smart now you need to just close your mouth no I'm not going to in fact you know what go to your room no I'm not go to your room if you don't go to your room good fine and the kid stomps off and dad thinks to himself yep I won that battle actually dad you didn't what you got was outward obedience but you still had a child with an inner rebellion we need to actually discipline more for the attitude than we do for their actions and the last thing is that we need to do oh so the second thing is that we need to agree to never discipline and anger Ephesians 4 26 says in your anger do not sin now I want to just take a moment and talk about two different types of anger when you're disciplining your ch children if you are a person who lashes out at your child physically lashes out now there's nothing wrong with a, a short sharp smack on the hand or on the bottom but if you are a person who lashes out who catches your child unawares who punches your child who uses a closed fist who picks up a weapon and smacks your child you need to get help you need to repent before God you need to ask your child for forgiveness and you need to get help if you are married to someone and this is what happens then you need to sit them down privately have that conversation that this is not right and have the conversation of we need to get you help because nine times out of ten you're being triggered by something in your own childhood and you are lashing out at your child this is never ever acceptable if you are a person who lashes out at your child verbally you say things in the heat of the moment that are cruel that are devastating and that are just awful you need to repent to God you need to ask your child for forgiveness and you need to get help if it gets that bad you need to stop doing that that is not an adult response that is the response of a stroppy child you need to deal with this and I know it sounds harsh and I know it sounds a bit ooh. and how do you say that about what I'm doing I'm sorry but I need you to be the absolute best parent you can be so that you can be raise absolutely the best children if you are in that situation you need to get help by all means contact us and we will help walk you through that process um, but we do not do that so you never discipline in anger if you need to take a walk cool off calm down there's absolutely nothing wrong with that if they're young and you can't leave them because to go for a walk put yourself in time out go into your room shut the door pray put on some worship ask God look I totally get how lashing out because you're frustrated about something else can happen I work with stroppy teenagers all day long there are times when particularly when the kids were little where I'll come home and I'll be so frustrated with what had happened at work and so angry with what was going on that unfortunately my kids were, uh, bore the brunt of my temper so what I started doing when I realized what was happening is that on my way home from work I would put on worship and I would pray I would sing and I would pray and the whole drive home to make sure that I was leaving behind the stress from work to make sure that when I walked through the door my children got their mom and not somebody who was stressed out about something that was not these kids fault so remember in our anger we do not sin and we never discipline our children in anger if you want to um, yeah I can't stress it enough get some help if you need it don't ever do it and don't be ashamed like I said chances are you're just reacting to something else in your own life so the third thing that we do is we will discipline our um, our children promptly with instruction 
and reconciliation. With instruction and reconciliation. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Why is it important to discipline them with instruction and with reconciliation? For two reasons. First of all, nine times out of ten, they don't even know what it is they've done wrong. So what happens is, I remember an incident between Madison and Seth when they were young and uh, Madison in a fit of temper and frustration up and thumped her brother. So, Madison, what did you do wrong? It was Seth's fault. He did. No, Madison, what did you do wrong? Seth came over and, no, Madison, what did you do wrong? And eventually she goes, I shouldn't have hit Seth. That's right, you should not have hit Seth. But what about Seth? No, no, no. I will deal with Seth. We're talking about you at the moment. Right, what are you going to do the next time? The next time that happens, what are you going to do? And we talk through a plan and a step. The reason why we do that is that God will always give us a way out. And how else are we going to instruct our children that that is what God is going to do if we, um, if we don't start teaching it to them? And then there's the reconciliation part. We identify what the problem is. We talk about what we should do next time. Then there's a punishment because there's always a consequence to what happens. Then after that, there's reconciliation. There's a hug. There's a kiss. There's prayer. Whatever it is that's required for whatever the offense was, we reconcile. And then we never bring it up again. We don't drag it up. If I have to deal with something with the kids when they were young, and Craig came home, I don't tell him about it, or I do tell him about it, but he doesn't bring it up because I have dealt with it. Um, because the kids do not need to be told off twice, they do not need to be punished twice, because that's not how God works. And our whole function as parents is to treat, train up our kids so they understand how God works. What we want through this whole process is really to show them a reflection of our relationship with Jesus. We come to the cross, we ask for forgiveness, uh, we are forgiven, and then God remembers it no more. And it's the same thing that we have with our, uh, with our children. There is, forgive, there is a punishment, and then there's forgiveness, and we just move on and we don't remember it anymore. Proverbs says in 1918, Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to death. I thought that was quite interesting, the do not be a willing party to death. Um, and it seems a little um, extreme. But as I was kind of meditating on this and how it fitted in with, with the whole discipline thing, I was remembering when Seth was young. And Seth is the kind of kid that needs to learn the hard way. He needs to do these things for himself, unfortunately. So sometimes it feels like life can be quite difficult waiting for him to learn the, the lesson himself rather than learning from, from somebody else's experience. And we had a fireplace when we used to live in Manurewa, um, and so we had this fireplace and, and you know, even had a guard around it and all that sort of stuff, but he just wouldn't leave it alone. Like, honestly, we spent the, the first winter he, he learned to kind of move and crawl, he was constantly, we were constantly dragging him back, telling him it was hot to leave it alone. The second winter, honestly, it was exhausting. In the end, um, when he was about two, two and a half, I was like, you know what? He's not going to learn from us just constantly moving him. So in the end, I let him touch it because he kept telling him it's hot, it's hot, it's hot. So in the end, I didn't move him and he put his hand out and he touched it. And he found out what the word hot meant. He knew that it was hot. Then we did the whole thing, you know, treated his little fingers and made him feel better and, and all that sort of stuff. And then a couple of years later, we were um, 
in the kitchen and there was a, a kettle and it was bubbling away and, and you know how it begins to whistle. So he goes running over to grab the kettle and he reaches his hand out and I just went hot and because he knew exactly what hot meant, he halted exactly what he was doing, he didn't move, he even held, held his hand in the air and I said to him, pull your hand away, so he pulled his hand away. Um, and I believe it truly did save him from getting scolded by this um, boiling water. The reason why I'm sharing this story and connecting it to do not be a willing party to his death, because we had taught Seth what hot meant, because he had been instructed as to what hot meant, it meant that I can stop, we stopped him at two, we stopped him again a few years later, we could stop him at 12 and then at 18, when he hits 18, if we say to him, hey, that is hot, he's going to listen to what we have to say. Because discipline is correction driven by love. At no point are we trying to lord it over our kids. We are driven by love for them. It's not something that we do to them. We don't do discipline to them, but we do it for them. It is something we do because we want them, we want to love them toward righteousness and knowing and serving Jesus. So I hope that this was in some way help highlight for you some areas that you may need to brush up on, may need to seek help in, may need to get you know um, some advice on. Uh, I get it, parenting is hard, it does not come with a manual and then you get all these worldly ones that are written by all sorts of different people and it can be confusing. But I hope that you'll be able to move forward and realize that the discipline for them is driven by love. You're not disciplining them because you don't like them, in fact you're disciplining them because you love them. So why don't we pray together? God, we ask that in your holy presence that you would convict us in a way that only you can do. God, that you would lead us. We ask that you, Holy Spirit, would give us wisdom as to what to do. God, I pray especially for single parents. God, I don't know how they do it without support and backup. And I pray that you would be their support, that you would be their backup, and you would be their strength. And God, for the single moms, that you'll be the father in their household that their children need. I pray for strength for them. God, I pray for an unwillingness to give up and to grow weary in doing good, but to continue on and to wait for a time when you will bring the spiritual harvest in our children. God, I pray for hope and for the parents who've given up hope. I pray for those kids who are running wild and outside of your ways. I pray that you would do whatever it takes to bring them back. And God, for the, all the little ones today that are in Kids Zone or Revive Kids, we thank you for the honor of raising them. I pray that you would empower us to lead them and train them in righteousness, that they would know you at an early age and serve you faithfully, all for your glory for the rest of their lives. And all the people said, Amen. So hopefully that was of some benefit to you. Um, please stick around uh, next week. We will finish off the series. And we're specifically going to be talking and praying for prodigal children, um, you know, which is something that, you know, we all know someone in that situation. So um, have a great week. Um, enjoy your time with your children. Love on them. Spoil them. You know, just pour abundance upon them. Um, and we will see you next Sunday.